Today I'm beginning a new sermon series entitled The Cost of Discipleship, though this could very easily have just been a continuation of the series I've been preaching on worship. I say this because in the last series I emphasized that worship must be the top priority of the church, because worship is how we experience relationship with God, and that's what it means to be a Christian, to be in relationship with God through the redemption that is offered in Jesus Christ. But for many Christians, they don't find a satisfying worship relationship with God. And I believe the reason for many that they don't find satisfaction in worship is because they've never been willing to actually pay the price that's required to be a true disciple and follower of Jesus. Many Christians simply don't understand that there is no such thing as cheap grace, but rather that true Christian discipleship demands costly grace. Before I get into what that means, I want us to look at the scripture passage for today, and that is from Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. Hear now this which is the word of the Lord. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. I'll be coming back to the scripture in just a moment. I wanted you to hear it and see it and have it left on the screen so that we can consider it as we proceed. But I'll come back to it specifically in a moment. Right now, I want to start by giving a context for the terms that I used just a moment ago. Cheap grace and costly grace. These phrases are from an extraordinary little book entitled The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer was a German theologian and pastor. He wrote that book, The Cost of Discipleship, in 1937. Bonhoeffer was an active opponent of Adolf Hitler. Almost the same day that Hitler was named Chancellor of Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer went on the radio to declare, especially to Christians, the dangers they were facing under the fascism that Adolf Hitler represented. Bonhoeffer was also a founder and leader of the Evangelical Confessing Church that opposed Nazism in Germany, and that is the reason why in 1945, when he was only 39 years old, he was executed by the Nazis. So truly he understood what it meant to talk of the cost of discipleship. And this book, The Cost of Discipleship, has been named by Christian book distributors as one of the 40 books that Christians absolutely must read in their lives. It is truly a Christian classic. In this book, Bonhoeffer identifies cheap grace as mere intellectual assent to the Christian faith. It's the idea that just intellectually agreeing with Christianity is sufficient to redeem us from our sins and save us. Cheap grace is grace as a mere doctrine, a principle, a system. It means the forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth, that the love of God is the sole understanding we need to have about God's expectation of us. Bonhoeffer identifies cheap grace, and I think he's completely right, as the deadly enemy of the true church. Cheap grace means grace sold in the marketplace like cheap wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sins, the consolation of religion are thrown away practically at cut-rate prices. 
Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings without even bothering to ask questions or fix limits. It is grace without price, grace without cost. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. It is baptism without church discipline. It is communion without confession. It is absolution without personal confession of sin. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. It is grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate in our lives. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. It is a cheap covering for our sins. No contrition is required. Still less is any real desire needed that we be delivered from our sin. Grace alone does everything, many Christians would say. So everything can remain just as it was before. In effect, cheap grace says that the Christian may continue to live just like the rest of the world, modeling himself or herself on the world's standards in every way, not even aspiring to live a different life than he or she lived when they were under sin. That's what we mean by cheap grace. That's what Bonhoeffer meant. It is the grace which amounts to the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner, who departs from sin because of Jesus. Cheap grace is not the kind of forgiveness of sin which frees us from the toils of sin. Cheap grace is hearing a gospel which says to us, of course you've sinned, but now everything is forgiven. So you can stay just as you were and you can enjoy all the consolations of forgiveness anyway. Cheap grace, in effect, is the grace that we give to ourselves rather than the grace that is given to us by God. And so cheap grace amounts to a denial of the living Word of God. It is a denial of the incarnation of the Word of God in the presence of Jesus. But isn't that the essence of grace? A lot of Christians might say that the account has been paid in advance. The price has been paid. And so everything can be had for nothing. Grace covers everything, so nothing is demanded of me. I don't need to change my lifestyle. I can continue to live just like the rest of the world. The grace is offered freely, so the possibilities of using and spending it are infinite. What would grace be if it weren't cheap? Isn't that the gospel, some Christians would ask? That grace is free and unlimited and completely undemanding of us? My brothers and sisters, no, that is not the gospel. Following Jesus is more than nodding a head or raising a hand or signing a card or repeating a prayer. Though someone who comes to Jesus can do any of those things at the point of conversion. But following in Jesus is not one single event that we experienced at church, followed by us then just returning to our lives as usual, the only difference being that now we believe we're going to heaven. Following Jesus instead means abandoning our trust in ourselves, surrendering surrendering everything we are and everything we have to Him. That and nothing else is what discipleship in Christ means. You see, the main problem with cheap grace is that it has no demand for discipleship. Costly grace is the grace of Christian discipleship and obedience. And it costs us our very lives. 
Costly grace, in contrast to cheap grace, confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus, but it comes to us as a word of forgiveness to a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Costly grace is costly because it condemns sin even as it justifies the sinner. And because it compels a man or woman to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. But it is grace because, as Jesus says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field, for the sake of which a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price for which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for which sake a person will pluck out the eye that causes him or her to stumble. It is the call of Jesus that causes the disciple immediately to leave his nets and follow the Savior. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which every person must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs us our very lives, and it is grace because it gives us the only life that is truly life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and it is grace because it justifies the sinner. It is costly because it cost God the life of his own son. You, brothers and sisters, were bought with a price. You are not your own. And what cost God that much can never be cheap to us. Above all, costly grace is grace because God did not consider even his son too dear a price to pay for our lives, but he delivered Jesus up for our sake. Costly grace is the incarnation of God into the word and the sacrifice that the word of God made on our behalf. Today, as we look at the weakness and the uncertainty of so much of the organized church, I believe we have to recognize that this is an inevitable consequence of us making grace available at too low a cost. We give away the word and the sacraments wholesale. We baptize, confirm, and absolve masses of people without condition or expectation or a call to turn away from sin. Our humanitarian sentiment makes us give that which was holy to the scornful and the unbelieving, to give pearls to the swine. But the call to follow Jesus as the narrow way is almost never mentioned. Do you remember? Broad is the way and many will follow it, but narrow is the way to truth. This is why so many people think that the truth of the gospel and of God's word can be twisted any way they want to suit them and their desires. That the word of God can be made to say whatever they want it to say. Oh, we don't have to listen to that part anymore because we are smarter than that now. Because people have accepted the cheap grace that demands nothing from them, they can even argue against the truth that is found in Scripture. Because after all, they are the important thing, not God and his will for us. 
We have simply chosen to forget the many admonitions of Jesus, of what he calls us to be and to do, such as, for instance, in Matthew 10, when Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We are called to lose our lives for Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we live out costly grace instead of falling to the temptation of cheap grace that so many Christians today do? I was asked a question in Bible study last Friday. How many, uh, how many Christians I thought simply were Christians in name only and not sincere? And I glibly said, oh, not more than 95 or 96%. Well, I was being glib, but my brothers and sisters, sometimes it feels very much that that's pretty accurate. Well, in terms of how we are to live out costly grace, let's return for a few minutes to Romans 12, 1 and 2 and see the wisdom that the Apostle Paul has for us there. Paul begins by saying to us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, we must note that Paul's admonition and his instruction here is directed to Christians, not non-Christians. Brothers and sisters. And it is clear that Paul is speaking to Christians who do not yet live the Christian life as they should. They don't yet understand what is required of them. They are Christians living under what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Christians who do not yet understand the responsibility that faith in Christ brings on them, they are Christians like us, in other words. Paul then says, in view of God's mercy, because God has not given us the punishment that we deserve, but rather has shown us mercy even to the point of sacrificing His own Son to pay the price for our sins, to give us life abundant both now, as Jesus said, and in eternity. Because of the mercy of God, we then have the obligation to do more, to be more as followers of Jesus, rather than just assume we're saved and go on as we were before. Paul then tells us, and it's the core of this passage, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're told to offer ourselves. God never forces us to do anything. Our response to God's great mercy to offer ourselves, our bodies, as a living sacrifice is entirely voluntary. You have to decide that you're going to do it. We each must choose to respond to God with our whole selves, to give Him everything we are which is what it means to be a living sacrifice. We have to notice here that it's not just that God asks us to make a spiritual sacrifice, a sacrifice of our spiritual selves. That would fit right into the idea of cheap grace. Because who, even we, cannot accurately tell whether we truly have spiritually, internally, given ourselves over as a sacrifice to God. No, Paul makes it clear we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, our external as well as our internal selves. This means everything. We are to sacrifice our families, our possessions, our money, our jobs, our hobbies, everything must be given over to God. Nothing is to be held in reserve. And this is not new as an expectation of God. The famous Shema with the Jewish call to worship in Deuteronomy 6 says, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then Jesus reiterates exactly the same point. In fact, he even expands on it, makes it more in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We hear Jesus saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. In other words, with everything you are. That was included in the words of one of the songs we sang this morning. Both the Old Testament law and Jesus are clear and in agreement. We must love God with everything we are and with everything we have. Nothing is exempt when we give ourselves to God. And in the cost of discipleship, Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously made exactly the same point when he wrote, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. To die to self. To sacrifice all on the altar of worship to God. That's what it means to be a living sacrifice. And yet, while we're clearly told we should be willing and voluntarily give all that we are and all that we have as a living sacrifice because of God's mercy, many, and again, perhaps even most Christians, today expend more energy trying to crawl off the altar than they do trying to present themselves as a living sacrifice. We want to live just the way we always did before we heard about Jesus. And Paul continues, and this is a particularly appropriate to the sermon series we've just finished in worship. Paul says that our presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. As we've been considering worship over the past weeks, we talked about definitions for worship. To present ourselves in response to God's initiative to be in relationship with Him. Here Paul gives us a clear definition. True and proper worship, that is worship that is holy and pleasing to God, involves being willing to give ourselves completely to God and to His will to become a living sacrifice in response to His mercy. That's what worship is. To give ourselves away as a sacrifice to God's mercy. And Paul continues, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul gives us the alternative. What is the opposite of being a living sacrifice in response to God's mercy? What is the opposite of accepting the costly grace of being a true disciple of Jesus, it is to live like everybody else. It is to fit into the world. It is to not be willing to be a stranger and alien, which is what we're called to be. It is, as Paul says, to conform to the pattern of the world, to accept the cheap grace which makes no demands on us, which does not require us to change in response to the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. As Bonhoeffer describes cheap grace Conforming to the world, as Paul calls it, it is when we expect forgiveness without repentance, communion without confession, grace without discipleship, without the cross, without Jesus Christ. That is cheap grace. That is conforming ourselves to the world. But if we don't conform ourselves to the world, if we apply ourselves to be recipients of costly grace, living sacrifices, then, Paul says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Paul concludes by his, his call for us to be living sacrifices, to reject the ways of the world, by saying that when we are willing to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God, then we will know God's will for our lives. Have you ever wondered why God's will has not seemed clear to you, when perhaps it may seem clear to other people? The answer is perhaps that you have not been willing to turn your life over to God. You have not been willing to give all, to accept the costly grace. And that's the only time in which God ever promises that His will will be made clear to you, as He does here. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So what does it mean to become a living sacrifice, to be a true and complete follower of Jesus? On the surface, and by the judgment that the world would apply, it would appear that it means we take ourselves out of a life of relative security, where we depend on our money, our investments, our possessions, what other people think about us, what our place is in our society or our community, all the things that people tend to depend on for their security. It means taking ourselves out of all of that making it appear to us as though we have no security in anything anymore, that we are now insecure, that we cannot count on the things that the world counts on. But in fact, what it means when we become living sacrifices, when we accept costly grace, it means that we reject the false security that the world offers. And instead, we accept the absolute safety and security that comes with close fellowship with Jesus Christ. It means exclusively attaching ourselves not to the things of the world, but to the person of Jesus, the Messiah who died for us, to truly become his disciple, to allow nothing, nothing to come between us and the Lord. Jesus gave us everything, quite literally everything, to save us. And in return, he demands everything. It really is as simple as that. Not the shallow, comfortable ease of cheap grace in which we expect the benefits of salvation, but we don't expect to be required to change in any way. But the heavy demand of costly grace in which we are willing to become a living sacrifice in response to God's mercy. Remembering that God made us, He paid a dear price for us, and He therefore has a right to claim our lives. We have to ask ourselves, in light of that, are we among those who are guilty of accepting only the cheap grace? If you aren't sure whether you've been guilty of accepting only cheap grace in your life, then ask yourself these questions. What have I held back from God? What have I refused to submit to Jesus? Have you given Him your relationship with your spouse, your family, your money and possessions, have you given him your habits, your hobbies, your addictions? Have you given him your life? Nothing is to be left out. Have you offered yourself as a living sacrifice, giving everything to God to do with as he will? Because that is what he demands. That is what he has a right to. Anything less is cheap grace. And in response to our willingness to become a living sacrifice, a true disciple of Christ, to accept the costly grace, God has promised to show us His good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. He has promised to bring us into a place of true and proper worship. 
into an intimacy of relationship with Him, which whether we know it or not, is what we all want and need more than anything else. That relationship that we can find when we submit to God is the very thing for which we were all made and it is the deepest desire of our heart. And it can be ours if we are willing to accept the costly grace of God. Amen.